Welcome to the Foodies Podcast. My name is Chris King, and in this episode, I'm speaking to Pete Lawkins from SOS Northern Ireland's Food Program. The organization gathers food and other goods from supermarkets that would otherwise go to waste and redistributes them to other non-profit organizations which are providing frontline support to vulnerable members of the community. What distinguishes SOSNI from other redistribution initiatives is their focus on capturing fresh produce, collecting bread and other baked goods, fruit and vegetables, rather than canned and non-perishable produce which most others capture. They gather the food six nights a week, distributing it the following morning to ensure it is still fresh. While they only have one van, the impact that they have had is significant to every individual who benefits from the food they rescue. This is the first in a two-part series. The second episode will be released in two weeks' time and shares the stories of the volunteers as they deliver the food and representatives of the recipient organizations. So be sure to subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud so you don't miss out. Just to mention, the audio was captured for the purposes of a short video, uh, which I'll be publishing soon, but it means my voice isn't so audible. But you can still make out all the questions that I ask. Before we get to the interview, if you're working on anything related to food waste and would like to have your work featured on the Food Is website or podcast, then be sure to get in touch via the site or email me at chris at foodis.org.uk. And without further ado, here's Pete Lawkins from SOSNI. Enjoy. My name is Peter Loggins and I'm sort of project manager for the SOSNI uh, food programme. It began probably about three years ago when we had a casual contact with one Marks and Spencer stores where the chief executive uh, was going down six nights a week in his car to pick up probably five or six trays of uh, what we call ambient product which is really fruit and vegetables, uh, bakery goods and, and bread and we had about just four or five different charities that we would deliver that to the, the next day. Uh, so the middle of last year, 2015, Tesco decided that, that they would like to, to do something with their surplus food. And through Foodshare, we were linked with three Tesco stores. Uh, and we collect from those Tesco stores uh, probably four nights a week, individual stores uh, four nights a week. Uh, then probably at the end of November, December last year, Marks and Spencers made a corporate decision right across the UK in relation to what they would like to do with some of their surplus food product. And we're now linked with five Marks and Spencer stores and we collect from them six uh, days a week. Uh, so during the course of this year, we've made further contacts again. Sainsbury has now made a corporate decision, and not just in Northern Ireland but right across the UK, that they'd like to do something with their with their surplus food. We're now linked with three Sainsbury stores, and we have a couple more stores uh, coming on board. So we have volunteers who go out uh, six nights a week and collect the product, and we deliver it then to a range of charities the next morning. Right, and what kind of charities do you? Uh, we we. We deal with charities. It's easier for us to... We have no real interest in doing anything directly with the product or ourselves. Right. We really see ourselves as identifying where the surplus supply is and then taking it to areas of, of need. Mm -hmm. So we're linked in with organisations who know where the, where the deprivation is. They could be community organisations who are helping uh, people in local communities with sort of food clubs or breakfast clubs. Mm -hmm. We would supply a number of hostels in Belfast who are helping sort of people who, who 
uh, our residents with those, and also the welcome organisation, uh, which helps people who are directly homeless on the on the streets. Mm-hmm. We have about three or four different organisations who work with refugees and asylum seekers, and mm-hmm. they are either making food for people at lunchtime so they can come in for, for food and they can use the food that we have to feed them, or they'll make food parcels up uh, to feed them. Mm-hmm. I suppose the difference in, in what we do than what uh, food banks do, food banks would be keeping tin goods and dry goods with a long shelf life. The food that we pick up is fresh, nutritious food that, you know, if we pick it up on a Monday night, we will deliver it on a Tuesday and it will be used on the on the Tuesday. So we're not in competition with any food banks. So it's, it's fundamentally different what we're what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And how how dependent have these organisations become on what you're delivering to them? Certainly something we're very conscious of about that, that dependency culture and we've always said to them, you know, there's no guarantee of what we will we will get on a on a given day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're more than happy to have what, what we we have. What they would say is that a lot of the organizations have limited resources by us providing them with food they can use those limited resources for other things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it might be that they can buy materials or educational materials in and run classes for people because they don't have to pay money for the, for the food. But the dependency is uh, it's something that we're, we're conscious about. But I don't think people are, are dependent on it, but they, they, they certainly utilise the food that we, that we give them. Mm-hmm. And in terms of... Uh engaging with the supermarkets or them engaging with you uh, I assume you know the corporate decision that you mentioned at Sainsbury's UKY yeah. and others to now kind of uh, donate the food uh, that they have that would otherwise go to waste at the end of the day that is probably due to public pressure and, and uh, increased awareness brought by Hugh Fernie Whittingstall, Jamie Oliver and the likes yeah. um, so prior to that happening how easy was it for you to get your hands on on surplus food? It was it would have been difficult. We only had the one store, and if we had we had uh, approached other stores, I think the individual stores were very conscious of the surplus and that it was going to to waste, albeit that it could go to animal feed or or whatever. But without a corporate decision, you know, they you know were were sort of felt that their hands were tied and, and, and couldn't do things. Uh, certainly having the corporate decision and maybe some a, a bit of pressure applied has certainly benefited. What I would say is that I think the organisations have always wanted to donate the food, but they haven't known the mechanism to do it. Okay. Uh, even now, I know that some have difficulties. Other charities are supposed to come and collect the food and, and and uh, I think that's more on an ad hoc basis, whereas we would guarantee that we have the vans and we will come along and, and deliver the food so they know that you know, they can rely on us. We will definitely be there to, to pick the food up and we take all the food product that they have. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, uh, I think it's seen as a benefit to them. It seems that you know the food's not going to waste and that they can exercise their sort of corporate social responsibility. Mm-hmm. And why why do you think that corporate decision has come along at this point in time? I think it's just been highlighted more as we've said, you know, maybe certain celebrities have, have highlighted it and, and television programmes have, have done that. And I think they would have always hid behind the you know health and safety issues behind it and very conscious about best before dates and use by dates. 
Uh, so I think a lot of uh, highlighting the issue has, has given them the impetus to do it. And I think they can see it as a win because they can see it as, you know, fulfilling their you know, corporate social responsibility in a way. Mm-hmm. There's been a drive and diverting any sort of surplus produce to anaerobic digestion. Mm-hmm. Are you competing with that or are you a, a better option What the service that you're providing? Yeah, I think it, certainly we see it as a better option because the food is going for human use and it's going to people who really benefit from the food. Uh, and I think that, that that's a win for everybody. You know, the supermarkets know that the food, you know, is, is going to people who are, who are going to benefit from it and, and use it. What we have done with a number of the supermarkets is actually had uh, staff come out on the minibuses and actually see where it's, where it's being delivered to. And I think that's very powerful for the staff because they can actually see where, where it's going and that people are actually benefit from it. I think the staff in the stores have been conscious for a long time about, about the waste. Uh, and I think that they're very glad now that the decision has been made mm. to, to do something more with the surplus food. And in terms of the produce that you're um, getting, what states it in and, and what is the situation with used by Best Before? My limited understanding of it is that uh, Best Before is more a quality issue, that it's not, you know, it, it, the food is still good maybe for a couple of days afterward. Used by is a safety issue, so there's a legal issue if food is dated to be used by today's date, we can't pick that up and deliver it tomorrow because it's legislation says we can't. If it's best before, it's not the same issue. Uh, it's just a quality issue. But all the food is fresh food that has been made that day or else fruit and vegetables. And, you know, they're, they're in, in usually very yeah, good condition last last week from one of the organisations we picked up 40 trays of, of oranges which were in perfect condition it was just at the end of their display date or best before date so the stores couldn't sort of display them in the store mm-hmm. but it was still perfectly good for human consumption Right, yeah and in terms of trying to get supermarkets to engage with charities like SOSNI more Obviously, as you say, the infrastructure has to be there, the, the, the willingness and the ability to uh, deliver and a commitment to pick up surplus food has to be there. Yeah. But um, assuming that it is there, do you feel that uh, legislation would be useful, as, as has happened in France and Italy and um, Portugal and Luxembourg are also saying that they want to commit to and move forward with? Yeah, I think the legislation is fine in doing that, but e- even though the legislation is placed, they still need to find places to give the food to and have a partnership with people that they can rely on are going to come and pick the food up uh, and make sure that it's going to where it, where it should go and that it's not being abused in, in any way. Uh, and I think that they need you know, to obviously be very careful in the partnerships that they sign up and make sure that that everything is above board and that the food is going to, to, to where it's needed. I know that in one of the issues has been, and I think there's a law in America, which I'm not 100% sure of, but uh, that if it's, it's, it's about being conjoined in a lawsuit, that if a supermarket gives food to, to me and I give it to somebody else, then the supermarket can't be conjoined in a, in a lawsuit in America. It's a good Samaritan principle, I think. Yeah. Now, I know that we don't, we don't have that here. And I think if that 
was eased, then supermarkets might be a bit more relaxed in, in what they're doing with, with the food because obviously uh, they're careful not just in terms of food safety but on also protecting their product you know and their name and and their brand and they're very conscious of that so they're not going to take any risks that's going to damage the the brand yeah so speaking about the supermarkets but then moving on to the politicians and and um people in power people who can actually uh, create a lot of difference very quickly um is there any sort of political engagement with the issue of food waste and its minimisation? Yeah, certainly in, in Belfast there's a group now, uh, the Belfast Food Network, which has been very successful and it's all about sort of sustainable food city for, for Belfast. And there certainly has been engagement with, with Stormont in relation to uh, food safety and, and sort of overproduction of food. I think one of the difficulties is that I suppose there's no champion within uh, our own sort of legis- legislature uh, and that no one government department has a lead for uh, food surplus or, or, or food waste and I think with without that then there's not the same focus on it. You know I think a lot more could be done uh, but without that sort of single government department that can take ownership of it I think that that will, will sort of take a long time to, to filter through. Mm-hmm. The work that you're doing is clearly a very positive, very uh, cost-effective um, and just generally effective means of impacting positively on food poverty and food insecurity. Surely even if there's not a drive to minimise food waste and, and any uh, surplus uh, production, surely in terms of food security there would be a desire to engage with the issue at that level if not at uh, the food waste related element of it yeah and and i suppose beyond for me to say that there's not work going on because i don't know if there's if there's work going on uh within within the executive and in, in northern ireland but it could be more joined up because i think you know all the issues are linked right right down and i think the difficulty is that different government departments have different responsibilities for each part of that and I'm not so sure that there's an overall task force or, or sort of working group that that can sort of join up all those all those different things. I think it would be a very positive thing if if there was. Uh, I think the Belfast Food Network and the lobbying they do will will help that. Uh, but I don't know that it is high enough up the agenda at uh, Stormont or within our executive to to do that. I would certainly hope that it will become that way, but uh, I'm not so sure how high up there. The agenda is and in terms of your situation and the sustainability of it how are you accessing funding then if if there's no political engagement and yeah uh, that's a very good question at, at the minute we are funding it just from our own charitable funds uh, we're certainly going to look next year at how we could in, increase funding I think what we're interested in now is expanding the type of food that that we get I think there are some uh, there's been some positive engagement with some of the supermarkets to say that there may be chilled goods that, that they could provide with us, but that brings a whole different level of control and, and safety issues that if we get chilled food, we have to keep it chilled, you know, we have to have a chilled van, we have to have refrigerated storage uh, before we can deliver it out. Uh, if that looks like a possibility that supermarkets are going to do that, we'll certainly look for, for funding. 
we raise a lot of funds uh, just ourselves from charitable giving from events that we we organize but there are also grants and trusts that we can we can tap into as well it may be that some of the supermarkets would see an opportunity to help us with that as well which would be very positive and that uh, the bill the good samaritan bill that you mentioned that exists in the u.s there was actually um, an attempt to introduce something similar here uh, at, at least uh, i'm not sure about northern ireland but within england but um MPs were saying that it wasn't necessary, that that wasn't a motivation or a reason for supermarkets uh, not giving the food um, to organisations like yours. But do you feel that that isn't the case, that if, if that Good Samaritan bill actually did exist, um, that you would be able to, that that would make your life a lot easier and that supermarkets would be more willing to give this, this fresh and um, and perishable goods to organisations like yours. Yeah, I think I think any legislation would would be good. I think that supermarkets, even with the Good Samaritan uh, law, if it was introduced, it makes the, the supermarkets protected from litigation from from somebody who who got ill. But they will always have the issue that's not going to help their brand. You know, if if they get publicity that was some of their food made somebody else, even though there's going to be no litigation, it uh, damages the brand, and that's what they find that they're they're most precious of, and mm. and rightly so because it's their business. Mm. Uh, I think the Good Samaritan law is something that that I I don't see that it would uh, be harmful in any way, and it it certainly would be some reassurance to supermarkets that at least if something did happen, that they they can't be. Uh, conjoined in a in a lawsuit. Mm. I suppose that's one of the drawbacks of here, and maybe that's something that differentiates U.S. supermarkets to to U.K. ones. Is here own branding is massive. Yeah. So then there is that ability to visually connect a sandwich or you know a, um, some meat or whatever to a particular supermarket because they've got yeah. uh, most of their produce is own branded. So maybe that's uh, one of the hindrances in terms of accessing that food. and um, Because, yeah, if they're going to protect their brand, then I suppose what they would be more willing to hand over is fresh produce that doesn't that have does their not brand branded. on it. Yeah. And it has, uh, yeah, third parties branding. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and certainly that, it would certainly complicate the issue for us if we had to repackage or rebrand a, a product uh, you know, if we have on, on a night have sixty trays of product that we now have to go through each. You know, there could be ten products in each of those trays. That's six hundred products. You know, for us to have to go through that and, you know, relabel it or change it, would be would certainly cause difficulties for for us to do that. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, then you want to diversify and you want to access the the chilled goods. Do you feel that that is the the most effective way of you? expanding and, and growing and, and being able to capture more of the, the surplus food that's available uh, at, a, at a supermarket level or even beyond at a, a farm level? Yeah, I mean, what I said, we have, we have a number of, one food producer and a number of food distributors that will quite often have, have surplus food <clears throat> and we're actually going down today to pick up a significant quantity of, of sort of porridge that is that has uh, been made available to us and, and we'll certainly distribute that over over the next couple of months 
I think the good thing about the chilled food, it, it just increases the variety of the food that we can provide to people. And, and, and again, it's sort of good, nutritious food. I think the issue is there's certainly more issues around safety with, with chilled goods. And we have to be very careful that we, that we do that. It will actually probably make the supermarkets put more controls on us because there's more danger with, with chilled foods. And again, it's all about their protecting their brand and, and making sure that uh, food that we have been given doesn't ultimately make somebody get, get sick. Uh, we're very conscious that in increasing the amount of food we get, we probably need to increase the number of outlets that we, that we provide to. We're really focused at the minute in and around Belfast. But gradually, we're, we're expanding that. Uh, the outlets that we have given to, and I'd say we're probably about 45 different outlets at the minute, that has been grown on really a word-of-mouth basis where we have gone to an organisation and they have put us in contact with another organisation. And that seems to be to be continuing. But uh, certainly, we if we get more, we need to grow the number of, of outlets that we that we give it to or else. Because the last thing that we want to do is take surplus from a supermarket and us not be able to get rid of it and ultimately end up dumping it, which is, you know, which is in nobody's interest. Well, thank you very much. Um, where can people find out more about the... SOS. Yeah, they could certainly go on the the uh, our website, which is uh, www.sosbusni.com, and there's a section on the on the food program, and uh, we're continuing to to develop that. Or contact the the office here. Contact me in the office here, and it's 0289-664-505. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Food Is Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Pete. And be sure to check out their website to find out more about the great work they do. And if you'd like to listen to future episodes of the podcast, be sure to subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. And please visit the Food Is website to find out more about all the great people, initiatives and organisations that I've documented over the past three years. All of which are doing great work to reduce the amount of edible food needlessly going to waste. And once again, if you're working on anything related to food waste and would like to have your work featured on the Food Is website or podcast, then be sure to get in touch via the site or email me at chris at foodis.org.uk. Take care and thanks again for listening.